It's a big weekend, isn't it? And it's a big crowd here this morning. You took time off of your work, and uh, we're going to only be here a total of one hour from 12 to 1. But I think God honors that kind of commitment to come and to celebrate the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. After all, that is the gospel. That Jesus died for our sins on the cross, that he was buried, and after three days he rose again from the dead, and he's alive right now. But we are focusing in on today the death of Jesus Christ, the cross. Jesus had a miraculous birth. We know that for sure. Jesus said some awesome words and performed some miraculous works, but of all of his life, the work of the cross is the most significant. In fact, the cross is the focal point of his entire life and his entire ministry. The cross, it can never be removed. And I say woe unto those churches or movements that would seek to remove the cross and the blood of Christ from its liturgy, from its meetings together. There is no power. There is no gospel. There is no good news without the cross, without the blood of Jesus Christ. All of the prophets anticipated it. From Abraham sacrificing his son Isaac on Mount Moriah to David in Psalm 22 who predicted it to Isaiah in chapter 53, and we just read that moments ago. All of the writers looked forward to this event that we celebrate at communion, the cross on Calvary. We read about it in the Gospels. And the Gospel I am going to read from now is Luke chapter 23. Beginning in verse 33. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ, the chosen of God, the soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription was written over him in the letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. He said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened. The veil of the temple was torn in two. When Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, He said, Father, into Your hands I commit My spirit. Having said this, He breathed His last. There are four Gospels written 
that in them house the life, the words, the works of Jesus Christ. In those four Gospels, there's about four chapters in totality. Only four chapters that speak of the first 30 years of Jesus' life on earth. Whereas, 85 chapters speak about the last three and a half years of Jesus' life. You get the point, don't you? What's the most important part of the Gospel, the most important part of Jesus' life? His ministry, the last three and a half years. Of those 85 chapters that deal with the last three and a half years of Jesus' life, 56 of those chapters talk about everything up until the last week, whereas 29 chapters are devoted solely to the last week alone of His life. And of those 29 chapters that speak of the final week of Jesus on earth, 13 of those chapters speak of the last day. Thirteen chapters in the Gospel speak of the last day of Jesus' life, whereas four chapters only speak of all the years of His life up to the 30th year. Thirteen chapters. Again, we get the point. The focus is on the last day. 579 verses in the Gospel speak of this event, the last day of Jesus Christ, anticipated by the prophets. In fact, you might look at it this way. Everything pre-New Testament looked forward to the cross. Everything post-New Testament looks backward to the cross. That's what we're doing. We're celebrating communion. We're looking back to this event that happened almost 2,000 years ago. It is the hinge of history. And it's always going to be that way, by the way. Revelation 13 says that Jesus is the Lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. So the plan of God from the beginning as seen in the Old Testament prophets' predictions, the whole plan of God was this that we are celebrating, the cross. Do you see how ludicrous it is then if that is the very focal point of history itself? If it's everything that the prophets looked toward, it's everything that after that event everyone looks back to, how ludicrous it is to try to take out the cross to try to gloss over the blood of the Lamb, the death of the Son of God. You cannot do that without just eradicating the message of the Gospel. In fact, the church altogether. In the book of Revelation, chapter 5, we get insight into what heaven's going to be like. It's great. The angels of God are singing, worshiping the Father on the throne and the Son But as John turns, he says something interesting in heaven. He says, I looked and I saw a lamb as though it had been slain. So, you know, wait a minute. I thought heaven is this glorious place and there's there's no remembrance of the former things. The old things are passed away and there's the glory of God. You're right. But even in heaven, we're going to be looking back and seeing a lamb as though it had been slain. Even in heaven, I believe Jesus will bear on His body marks of crucifixion. That's what John saw. In fact, after Jesus rose from the dead and Thomas saw Him, 
Jesus still had a wound in his side and wounds in his feet, wounds on his hand. This is after Jesus rose. In fact, he said, Thomas, reach forth your finger and, and you'll see this is, this is me. I'm the one crucified for you. You know what that means? That means that in heaven, the only work of man that will endure are the marks that we put on Jesus' body. Now, I don't want you to get sullen and sad and think, oh man, why'd you lay that one on me? I don't want to go to heaven and see that. Oh yeah, you do. In fact, I propose to you that it is the very glory of Jesus Christ to have those wounds. Because with those wounds, as that focal point of history, He can say, because of these wounds, you're here in my heaven. This was the joy that was set before me that helped me endure the cross is seeing you in eternity with me. That I could finish a work you could never accomplish. And by you simply saying yes to me, you're here. That's glorious. And so we're going to be singing as Revelation says for all of eternity. For you are worthy. For you have purchased us by your blood. That's going to be our song in eternity. Well, Jesus comes in this chapter to the cross. He cries out with a loud voice and He says, Father, into Your hands I commit My Spirit. Before that, one of the other Gospels tell us that He utters the word to telestai, or it is finished. And when we get to this portion of the Gospels, the cross, we understand that it has been the plan of God from the beginning of time. His birth even showed that, didn't it? The gifts that they brought to Him, gold, befitting a king, frankincense, befitting a priest. But myrrh was odd because myrrh was an embalming fluid. It was predictive of His death. In fact, when Jesus died, He was buried with a hundred pounds of spice and aloes, myrrh and aloes. So even at birth, it reflected or spoke of, predicted, anticipated the cross, the death of Jesus Christ. It was the plan of God even before His birth. And Jesus knew that. We hear that in His language, in His words. Jesus predicted so often His death, even to His disciples. He said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up just like Moses lifted up that snake, it was a cross. I'll be lifted up. He predicted it. Then there was the time when he was with the disciples and plainly told them, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be mistreated by scribes and chief priests and the rulers. I'm going to be beaten and I am going to be killed. And on the third day, I'll rise again. Of course, Peter didn't hear the last part, thought he would play the protector. And he said, be it far from you, Lord. We'll never let this happen. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. That's strong language. And I can only from that infer that Jesus saw anything at all that would deter him from the cross as satanic. Because that's the very work that he came to fulfill. So any idea of let's remove the cross, let's take away this horrible sounding thing of this bloody religion is satanic. Because that's why He came. Get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking as God thinks. Years ago, there was a book put out 
by a guy by the name of Hugh Schoenfield called the Passover Plot. And he tried a novel approach to the death of Christ. He said it was all a plot. That Jesus sort of uh, took the circumstances of his death and wove them to his own design, plotting all of the things that he could line up and get himself crucified at Passover to show this fulfillment. Well, I got to hand it to Schoenfield. Um, in one sense, he's absolutely right. It was a plot. But it started way before Jesus came to the earth. It was in the mind and the heart of God. It was the very hour that He predicted. Remember even in Cana of Galilee, the very first miracle Jesus performed, and it was His mother that was there, and she starts to set things up. And, and Jesus says, Woman, my hour has not yet come. And we read that and we think, what on earth is He talking about my hour? We read a little bit further and they try to arrest Him and seize Him, but He escaped from their midst because His hour had not yet come. And we read a little bit further, He comes to Jerusalem and He's there among the Jews and among His disciples and His suffering is imminent and He says, now my soul is troubled for my hour has come. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, but for this very hour I have come. So this reference to the hour he predicted, seen in his birth, seen in his words, and now we come to that hour, the cross, Calvary, outside the city of Jerusalem, the place of execution, public execution. Anyone that would defy Rome would suffer this ignominious death on a cross. Now we are told from writers, historical writers, that the cross was the cruelest form of death invented because it deliberately delayed death for hours, sometimes days, somebody could be hanging on a cross. The pain that Jesus endured that Isaiah predicted as he took our iniquities upon himself, what was that pain? Well, he leaves the upper room after having a meal with his disciples. And he goes down to a garden. And his soul is weighed down with sorrow. And it says that he sweat great drops of blood. And from the medical journals, we know that that's a phenomenon known as hematidrosis, where the tiny blood capillaries in the sweat glands of the forehead burst so that when a person sweats, it's mingled with blood. It shows a heightened state of stress, severe stress, the kind of stress that we probably will never face. Then Jesus is arrested and he is taken before Caiaphas and then he's taken before Pilate, then he's taken before Herod, then he's taken again before Pilate and he has no sleep. Then he's beaten at the command of Pilate to appease the Jews. And the kind of beating was, well, he was beaten with a fist by a Roman soldier. He was beaten with a whip by the Roman soldiers. A whip is a flagellum, they called it. A wooden handle. Attached to the handle were leather thongs. Embedded in the leather thongs were pieces of glass, bone, sometimes metal. The idea was that it would lacerate the skin. It would actually grab the skin in the back and rip it. 
And some of the writers tell us that many of the prisoners did not suffer through the entire ordeal of being beaten. That they died, they expired, because the soldier sometimes would beat so hard that it would rip at the muscles, the subcutaneous, uh, subcutaneous tissue down into the lungs, the viscera was sometimes exposed. And there is Jesus after having no sleep, sweating drops of blood, trial after trial after trial, being beaten. Now he's forced to carry a cross, the upper part of a cross. It's called the patibulum. It was just the horizontal beam. The vertical stake was already standing at Golgotha. But he carried the beam, a 75-pound piece of wood, through the streets of Jerusalem. And when he came out of the Damascus gate and was there at the place of execution... They put spikes in his wrist, large spikes, embedded into the wrist because the two bones meet there. The radius and the ulna form a hook, and the prisoner could be suspended upon those wrists, and he would pull up on the nails so that he could breathe. But after a while, the experts tell us that the lungs begin to be able to be filled with air but not pushed out because you have muscles in your chest that become paralyzed, the pectoral muscles, the intercostal muscles that allow you to breathe in and breathe out, become paralyzed so that you're able to take air in but not out. And so you have to pull up so that you can let air out. That's the pain Jesus endured for us, for me. Because He loved me. It's a wonder, isn't it? What was the purpose of the cross? We look at the cross and we wonder that. That's the purpose of the cross. Forgiveness, redemption. Every time we celebrate communion, we look back with a sense of, of anger, a sense of remorse, a guilt perhaps because of what Jesus went through for us. Until we discover the very purpose is an eternal purpose, a cleansing purpose, so that at the end He could say it's finished. Isaac Watts, wondered at the purpose of the cross. And he wrote in one of his famous hymns concerning the cross. He said, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would He devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? It's a wonder, isn't it? The sinless Son of God coming to the earth to take my sin and yours. But He did say it's finished. And that's a victory shout. It's not like, it's over. Goodbye, cruel world. To say it is finished is to say all of that which anticipated this event, the Old Testament sacrifices, can be done. Nobody has to bring animals anymore and slit their throat and watch them bleed and say this is what sin can do. That's all they had to look forward to year after year. The shedding of blood. But when Jesus died, the Lamb of God was slain once and for all for our sin. It's finished. It's over. The veil of the temple was torn. God was saying this system of Jewish sacrifice is over with. It's finished. It's done. Also, my forgiveness was completed. My redemption. Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. By that act, God is able to grant forgiveness to the world if and only if we admit that we're sinners and we ask Him to forgive us. It's not just a blanket. He died and now everybody in the world will forever go to heaven. 
It's those who receive the Savior into their lives, who believe in Him, who believe in that finished work, who realize I can't do it on my own. So we come to Good Friday and we look at the cross and we're humbled and we say, I guess God was right. I could never get saved on my own. I could never pull it off. He did what I could never do. He lived the perfect life I could never live. And then He atoned for my sins on the cross. I heard of a little boy who wanted to help mom wash windows one afternoon. And mom said, well, start with the kitchen window. It's closest to where we are and it's probably the easiest. So he went outside and scrubbed and scrubbed and scrubbed and there were still smudges all over the window. He was so frustrated. Mom called out and said, Timmy, come inside. All the dirt's on the inside, not the outside. Religion does what Timmy tried. Scrub everything on the outside. I'll be a good little boy. And all the dirt's on the inside. That's what the cross is all about. To save us from our sin that we were innately born with and we pick up and accumulate through life. Finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now today, the communion board, a group of friends in the church are going to pass out elements to you. A wafer, a little cup of juice representing the blood of Christ. This is a communion service for God's people, for those who have said yes to Jesus Christ. In just a moment, they're going to come forward and pass those out. And Before or as they come up, I'd like all of us to bow our heads for a word of prayer. Just reflecting on our lives, who we are right now, where we're going. And perhaps some of you contemplating, do I really know this Savior? Have I asked Jesus Christ personally to save me from my sins, to cleanse me from my unrighteousness? Have I personalized my belief? Am I willing to now if I haven't in the past? Like many of you, I grew up in churches. I went there every Sunday, sometimes more than once a week. And it wasn't until I was 18 years of age that I realized it was a ritual with no reality in my life. It didn't really matter except something I felt good about once a week. Until I ask, and I remember the afternoon, Jesus, finish your work in my life. I give my heart to you. Save me from my sins. I'm going to follow you. Until that moment, I didn't know forgiveness. This is the season when many people come to church. We're glad they all come. Whether you're a regular or you are a sporadic, you're here. And if being here, you realize, I haven't really made that solid commitment to Jesus Christ as my Savior, but I want to know the forgiveness of sins. I want to know it's finished. Then now is the time for you during this time to give your life to Christ. Father, we lift our lives up to You in this prayer. We know that You see everything about us. You know our motivations. The things that make us who we are. You know all the imperfections, Lord. You know all, not just the imperfections, but the deliberate out-and-out sins that we have committed. You know our hang-ups. You know our 
weaknesses, the things that we fall into readily in practice. And it's all forgivable. That's what's great about this communion service. We realize that the cross states that. It's forgivable because it's sin. And you came to deal with sin. And we need your forgiveness. Father, we pray that during this season, we as your church might be cleansed in our relationship with you, purified in our relationship with our husbands, wives, children, parents, people we work with. We'd have a clear conscience. We would accept your forgiveness and we would forgive others as you have forgiven our debts. Father, right now we pray for those who have come and don't know you personally. We pray that before we even pass out the elements, that they would make a decision to say yes to your Son, a lifelong radical commitment to turn their life over to you. And as we pray, and if you're here and you're willing to do that during this Easter season on this Good Friday, if you're willing to say yes to Jesus Christ personally as your Savior, I want you to raise your hand up and say, Skip, pray for me because right now I'm ready to give my life to Jesus once and for all, wholeheartedly, no holds barred. I'm ready to turn my life over to Him completely. Just slip your hand up. We'll pray for you before we pass these elements out. God bless you toward the back. Over here to my right, up front. A couple of your hands, I see them. Anyone else? Up top. Toward the back. Anyone else? Right there in the middle. God bless you kids. Father, over here to the right. Father, we thank you that new life is occurring, is happening, is blossoming right before our eyes right now. The very thing Jesus came to do, He's doing right here in our midst. The very thing Jesus did on the cross when He said to the thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. You're able to turn to these and say, today paradise is guaranteed you as you let me finish the work you could never accomplish. Wherever you are sitting, if you raised your hand, ready to make that commitment to Jesus, Right now, do that. Say to Him from your heart, Lord, I admit that I am a sinner. I thank You that Jesus came to pay the price for my sins. I want Him to do that. I let Him. Jesus, I give You my life. Cleanse me, purify me from all stain of unrighteousness. Write my name in your book of life. And from today onward, Lord, I'm going to follow you as your disciple. I'm going to seek your will. I'm going to live my entire life with your help, with your strength, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.